One of the things that we often focus on in the world are the differences between us. We're coming on a political election, and everybody's talking about the differences. But, but one of the things I love to do as a communicator is bring us together and point out we've got a lot of things in common. Like you have things in common with the people on your road, the people in this room. We all have things in common. For example, all of us have places in our life that we avoid if we can. Like we just don't want to go there. Like maybe it's your, uh, the house of a relative. Um, maybe it's uh, the house. I, I don't know. Or, or if you're going from point A to point B, you have certain routes that you will take and you have certain routes that you will not take because, because of traffic, right? For example, one of the places that I avoid if at all possible, is the city of Atlanta. I don't like Atlanta. I don't want to go there. Now, let me pause because we live in this age where everybody gets offended at everything. So you were, maybe you were born in Atlanta. You grew up in Atlanta. You loved Atlanta. You named your kid Atlanta, which is really unfortunate. But, but maybe you just love Atlanta. And if that's you, praise God for you, okay? I'm super thankful. I hate Atlanta because it makes me go backwards in my walk with Jesus. Because somebody's windshield wiper can fall off their car and 14,000 people will have to stop and look at the windshield wiper. Traffic gets backed up, and I wind up saying words that are not in the Bible. Thank you. So, so I don't like Atlanta. I remember I was scheduling a flight one time. I was going to land in Atlanta at 4.45 on a Friday afternoon. I was like, Hades. No, I'm getting better. I said, Hades. No, I'm not doing that. Now, and the other place I avoid like that is Walmart. Walmart always takes me backwards in my walk with Jesus. So Atlanta, I mean, Walmart and Atlanta would be hell. Okay, that, I'm not doing that. I'm just not going. So we all have certain places that we avoid. And, 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 if we're going to get real personal, this is, I mean, we just keep it real, right? There's certain people we avoid. Oh, don't look at me. Don't look at me like you don't. Because, listen, I, I'm going to tell y'all. Caller ID on your cell phone is one of the best things in the world. Don't tell me you haven't looked at the call and been like, oh. And have you learned that trick if you just let it go to voicemail rather than sending them to voicemail? Because if you send them to voicemail, then they know you send them to voicemail. But if you just let it go to voicemail, you're like, oh, I missed your call. That's the Christian way to lie. You don't have to say, you know what, you're called, you called, and you just extra. You're just extra, right? I call them EGRs, extra grace required. Sometimes you just don't have the grace to answer that phone call, right? So we avoid, but, but oh, back to the Christian way to lie. It's the Christian way to lie. When somebody goes, did you get my call? You go, did you call? You didn't really say I missed your call. You didn't really say I sent it to voicemail. You just ask a question. Just taught y'all how to lie in church. Welcome. I'm so glad. See, aren't you glad you came today? So there's certain people we avoid, and there's certain places we avoid. Now, during the time of Jesus, it was, it was the exact same way. Um, Jesus was a Jewish male. And, and, and in Jesus' time, Jewish men avoided certain places, and they avoided certain people. Now, one of the places that a Jewish person would, would avoid during the time of Jesus was an area of, in Israel called Samaria, the area of Samaria. They would, they would avoid Samaria. And do you know why they avoided Samaria? Because Samaritans lived there. And, and they did, Jews did not like Samaritans, and Samaritans did not like Jews. It was racial tension without political correctness. I mean, they hated it. In fact, there's a, there's a story in the Gospels of Jesus walking into a Samaritan village, and the Samaritans wouldn't accept him, and James and John wanted to destroy the whole village and kill everybody in it. And Jesus was like, okay, guys, I, 
think you missed the point on that whole love one another thing, we'll, we'll circle back around. You guys are in timeout. Um, that, that's Perry's interpretation of it, okay? So Jews did not go to Samaria. You, you just didn't go. It was like me in Atlanta. You just didn't go. Now, a, men in Jewish society in public would not only avoid Samaritans, but they would avoid women. And the reason they would avoid women is because during the time of Jesus, women were viewed um, just slightly above a piece of property. And, and by the way, let me just say this. Um, women, I don't even care if you're a Christian or not. You should be thankful for the ministry of Jesus because he's the first religious leader in the history of the world that actually brought and added value to women. When women came to Jesus, he didn't turn them away. In fact, it was a woman who he appeared to after the resurrection. It was a woman who had to go tell the apostles that Jesus was alive because they were freaked out in a closet somewhere. If it wouldn't have been for women, we wouldn't even know the tomb was empty because we know the apostles wouldn't have left the closet. And if they would have and gotten lost on the way to the tomb, they wouldn't have asked for directions because they're men. So thank God for the women, right? So Jesus... Jesus added value to women, but during the time of Jesus, when he was here on earth, if you were a Jewish male, you did not spend time around, you didn't go through Samaria, and you surely didn't talk to women. Now, with all that in mind, I want to read a story out of John's gospel. We looked at John's gospel last week, John chapter 8. This week, we're going to look at John chapter 4, and we're going to read through it, and I want to show you some stuff that I've never seen. I've never seen this in my life, and I've been reading the Bible for um, a long time. Here we go. The Bible starts out, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples then. Can you believe that there was once a time in the history of the world where people would believe rumors about other people that were not true? <laughs> we have progressed so much in 2,000 years. Um, anyway, we'll keep reading. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, when we read that, we just kind of skip over it. But to the first century reader, when they read that, they were like, whoa. This would be like me giving them my open illustration, and then you see it on social media this week, or today, me posting, can't wait to drive through Atlanta this afternoon. Okay, <laughs> that's piece hitting the ball again. That's a problem. There we go, verse 5. Eventually, he came. Let me pause real quick. <laughs> I recently, I made that joke, and I had somebody said, you can't joke about that. It's my freaking life. I can, listen, if you can't laugh about it, you are, you're not over it. So I can laugh about it and move on. You can't get offended at me talking about myself? Good Lord. Verse 5. I'm feeling, I've ran seven miles this morning. I feel great. Anyway, eventually he came to the Samaritan village. Say, I mean, that, that's just crazy. A sidecar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Let me talk about that for really, really just really quick second, because we often focus on the divinity of Jesus. We never focus on the humanity of Jesus. He was walking in the desert, he was tired. He, Jesus didn't float. He walked. He was tired. He was fully God, fully man. So if you're here today and you've ever been tired and exhausted, Jesus knows how that feels. 
He knows he, he identifies with us. He knows what we go through. He, he was God and he became man. That's unbelievable. But then this next verse, this next verse is what is crazy. Soon a whoa! A Samaritan woman. Okay, this is the place in the pit, right? Uh-uh. No, Jesus, Jesus, run. You ever done the, you ever you ever just taking one for the team for somebody? Hey, hey, I'll talk to him. Run. <laughs> I don't know anybody that's done that. I just read about it on social media one time. Um, came to draw water, and Jesus said, said to her, said to her, please, whoa. Hold on for a second. Jesus starts out a sentence to a woman that everybody spent most of their time avoiding with a kind word. With a kind, what if we as followers of Jesus were known for our kind words to other, I, that, that, y'all, I didn't even put that in 830 and 10 o'clock. That one's absolutely free. That, that just, what if we were known for our kind words? What if we were known for our kind words? Anyway, just a thought. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please, please, please give me a drink. Now, there's something about this passage that got my attention, um, and I've, I've, I wrestled with it. For a long, long, long time. And it was this phrase right here. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to go. It didn't say Samaria was a route. He could have gone. It said he had to go. Now, have you ever discovered something that's true and just been incredibly disappointed? How old were you when you discovered where babies come from? It happens earlier today. But back in my day, there was no social media. There was no internets. There, there was no none of that. So, so, so I learned where babies come from in the fifth grade, late bloomer. And I learned about it from my friend, Meatball. I've told you all about Meatball before. Meatball told me where babies came from. He was like, you know why you got here, didn't you? I was like, uh, he's like, yeah, your mom and your daddy. I was like, you a nasty man. My mom and daddy didn't do that. <laughs> then I started noticing they, on Sunday afternoons, they took a lot of naps. And you couldn't open the door, right? What are y'all doing in there? <laughs> We're praying. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, y'all speaking in tongues, laying on the hands. Y'all ain't praying. Anyway, let, me, let me move on. Let me move on. Let me move on. By the way, if you're in the audience and you're a little boy, little girl, and your mom and daddy are taking Sunday afternoon naps, ask them what that's really about right after the service. Thank you very much, G-Kids. So, so, so Meatballs told me where I thought babies, I, and I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. I thought babies came because women took Geritol. This is why I thought that. My cousin got pregnant with twins. And my mama was talking to my aunt on the phone. And I heard my mama say to my aunt, you know how she got pregnant, didn't you? And I leaned in because I didn't know how she got pregnant. And, and my mama said, she took some Geritol. I was like, Geritol? I went and searched through the medicine cabinets to make sure we didn't have any Geritol because I was the only child. I was loving that stuff, man. I was, I was making it because I was going to throw it away. And then Meatball set me straight. And I need to write a book, Things Meatball Taught Me. I mean, it would be NC-17. But it, I found out what I believed was true wasn't true. 
And all of us find stuff out that like that through all of our lives. Well, the reason I bring that up is because I remember when I was reading this verse, and I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd. Like, I love to read about history and geography and topography and all that stuff to go with the scriptures. And so when I started studying the maps, I, I'm the guy that reads the maps in the back of the book. When I started looking at the maps and really studying the geography of Israel, and I've been there like 16 times, so I love the country, I realized on the surface, that's not true. That verse right there is not true. And it bothered me. Because the Bible's true, right? But then that verse isn't true. And let me... Now, hold on for those people who are like, oh, my gosh, this is the message we're talking about. You don't believe the Bible. I love the Bible. Believe the Bible. I was trying to figure this out. But I want to I show you something. During the time of Jesus, this is, this is the map, the map, the map, the map, the map, the map, the map. If you've seen it once, it gets in there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, thank God. <laughs> this is the map during the time of Jesus, and this was the area that Jesus was in, in Judea. Um, there, there were three routes you could actually take from Judea to Galilee, where Jesus was going. This is where he did most of his ministry, right up in this area. You could take this route. Now, this was the most common route right here. It, it comes right along the Jordan River, and you get down to Jericho, and you hang right, and you come up a hill, a huge hill, um, and then you're at Jerusalem. This was like the religious route. This route right here was kind of like the I'm going to do whatever I want to route. You go out by the Mediterranean Sea, you can have a little picnic on the, on the beach, and you go up to Caesarea, and you hang a right, and you're, you're, at, you're at back in Galilee. This right here was through Samaria. It was the most direct route. It was, it, it was, it, now, it's hard walking. This is a this is very, um, very mountainous area. But it's so funny that typical Jews would go out of their way Using religion as an excuse, by the way, to avoid Samaria. And then you could go out of your way this way and, and just live in, live in the dream, living it up for yourself, and avoid Samaria. So, so how in the world could John write that Jesus had to go through Samaria? Had to, when he didn't really have to because there were three routes. And then I began, began to understand, this wasn't a geographical statement. It was a spiritual statement. That Jesus was compelled by God to go through Samaria. And then I started getting excited. Let me tell you why I got excited. Because I'm like, oh, I can preach this. I can preach it. Because we're going to be like the church that goes through Samaria. We're going to go to the people that no one else is reaching. And we're going to do the things no one else is doing. We're going to go through Samaria. Yeah. And God was like, that's not it. I'm laying in my bed with my phone looking at this passage going, no, that's it. God, that's it. That's that's." I mean, come on, man, that's good stuff right there. I mean, I could preach that, and God was like, look at it again. All right. I kept looking at it, kept looking at it again, and then something triggered in my mind. It caused me to think about something I heard and read not too long ago. Jesus had to go through Samaria. There's somebody here today. Maybe you're in the room. Maybe you're watching online. You have to go through Samaria to get to where God wants you to go in life. When I say Samaria, though, I'm not talking about Samaria. I'm talking about some area. There's some area of your life that you've been avoiding. You know, we, we can avoid it. We, we can avoid it with religion. 
we can, we can avoid it by just kind of living it up and doing whatever we want to do. And what winds up happening is this right here, this is a lot of activity, but we make no progress because we won't go through Samaria. I know people that do this their entire lives and blame God for it. When God's like, no, I want you, this is not, I'm not saying it's easy. But just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not right. So what is the area of your life that you need to walk through? What is that thing in your life that you know you need to deal with? You need to surrender to the Lord. Now, typically, this is where a pastor will begin to list out possible areas of your life that you need to surrender to the Lord. Let me tell you why I'm not going to do that. If I list out seven, most of us will go through the checklist, and if we don't, you know what, I don't struggle with any of that, I'm good. If I just said, what is the area that you need to surrender to the Lord? What is that area that you really need to give to God? And something just popped in your mind. You can't blame me when you walk out and say, he was all over me today. I just said, what is the area? If something popped in your mind, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. So don't, don't blame me for what he did, good or bad. Just, just understand it. And then with, with that, with me wrestling through this text and wrestling through what this, ver- what this sermon means for me, I wrote down three words that I tried to wrap my mind around if we're going to walk through some area. The first one is the, is, the, is the word repentance. Repentance. Now, this word right here, most people don't like it. And let me tell you why we don't like it. It's been weaponized by crazy people. You know what I'm talking about with crazy people? The people have you ever seen them? They got the, they got, they're standing on the corner with the signs where they got the bullhorn and they're yelling at people, repent, repent, repent. And I'm like, you know what? That's why that you, you, sir, you, sir, have no friends. And this is why people, I, like, I think that in my mind. When I turn 50, I'm just going to tell them. But, but that, that, this right here has been yelled at people. for Maybe you've been told by uh, somebody that's so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. You need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent. And they got in your face because in so many people's minds, this means change your behavior. But <laughs> here's what's funny. One of the best things you could ever read on the subject of, of repentance, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? This is deep. You ready? This is deep. One of the books that we can read on repentance that will absolutely change us forever is Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. Love me some Dr. Seuss. And Green Eggs and Ham is one of my favorite books because Sam I Am shows up with some Green Eggs and Ham, right? And, and, and the guy's like, I would not eat them in a box. I would not eat them with a fox. I would not eat them on a boat. I would not eat them with a goat. I would not eat them at a dance. I would not eat them at second chance. Like, he, he just kind of goes all the way. I'm in that last part. And my, just Flavor Flav, I'm just feeling it this morning. But then, but then, but then, he's like, all right, I'll give it a shot, right? I'll give it a shot, Sam I Am. I'll try out Green Eggs and Ham. And then... He likes them, and then he goes through the whole progression and said, I would eat them in a boat with a goat on a, with a box and fox. And he goes through that whole thing, and it shows he changes his mind. Repentance is not changing our behavior. Changing our behavior is compliance. And unfortunately, too many discipleship programs care way more about behavior modification than they do life change. Jesus did not die on a cross so we could have a behavior modification program. And if we change our behavior, but we don't change the way we think, we'll always go back to the behavior that was so destructive. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, and you know you're, you shouldn't be doing it, I'm not the guy that's going to yell at you to stop. 
I'm the guy that's going to encourage you to figure out why you do it. Because once we figure out why, it'll change the way we think. Paul said in his letter to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not copy the behavior, customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you behave. He didn't say that, did he? He said change the way you think. You know, I mentioned drinking earlier. Most of y'all have probably figured this out. A few years ago, I had an alcohol problem. I did. I abused alcohol. Abused it. I've had people come up and go, I bet you didn't drink as much as people said. No, I, I was like, no, I probably drank more. I did. And uh, do you know how many well-intending Christians would come up to me and go, you need to quit drinking? Oh, my God, you're a genius. I'm going to call you Sigmund Freud. You should open up an office. Like, that's the most brilliant thing. I had one guy write out a contract saying, and on the contract, you can't make this up. It said, I, Perry Noble, will never drink again. He was like, sign that. I'm signing that because I can't, I can't sign that. That, did, by the way, that's never changed anybody. You're signing this contract saying you'll never look at porn again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to look at porn. I just want to read my Bible. That, that, that's never happened. You know what changed me when it came to alcohol and abusing alcohol? It wasn't people yelling at me going, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. It was me getting into therapy and understanding why I was abusing. I was medicating on alcohol to numb pain that had been in my life for decades. And it wasn't until I understood why I was doing it and ultimately why it wasn't best if I wanted to step into the future that God had for me to continue on that path. And when I discovered why, why, and dug into it and did the work, God used a process to set me free from what was going to destroy me, and I repented, not because I changed my behavior, but because I changed my mind and said, I don't need to numb the pain with that. Even though it works and it's effective, it will ultimately bring destruction and hold me back from the life that God wants for me, and I repented, not because I changed my behavior, but because I changed my mind. And if God brought me through that process, he can do it for anybody in this room or anybody watching online. That's not unique to me. That's how he works. This is why, this is why when people reach out to me, they say, will you talk to my friend? Will you talk to my husband? Will you talk to my brother? They're an addict. And if they just talk to you, you can set them free. And I'm, I always tell people, I'm not Jesus. In fact, if they don't want to talk to me and you set up the phone call, they're going to be pissed at you. And me by the time the phone call's over. And you'll wind up pushing them away. You know when people get well? When they decide they want to get well. I'm telling somebody in this room, I'm telling somebody watching online, because this has been true in my life, you can overcome what's kicking your rear end when you decide, you know what, this will not control me anymore. You know how I know that? It's the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son, when the prodigal son leaves, the, leaves his house and he goes and blows his life up, everybody knew he was screwing up. He wound up working for the farmer. He winds up in the pig pen, feeding the pigs. And then Jesus said this sentence, and this has been my go-to for, for the change in my life and for the change that anybody else wants. Jesus said this about the prodigal son. When he came to his senses, not when his 
mother or father nagged him to death. Do you know that by nagging people, you don't draw them in, you push them away? Nobody has ever said, I gave my life to Jesus because that person nagged me to death. And I finally figured I might as well. And it's been the greatest decision of my life. You, you gotta, if you want to get better, if you want to get out of the pig pen, you got to decide. I don't want to live this way anymore. And Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can take that. And it's a process. But it's the beginning of you stepping out of a place of slavery into a place of freedom. And I know the journey because I've walked the journey. I'm actually still walking it. I'm still walking it. Y'all good? Everybody good? Everybody happy? All right. Awesome. Number two, understanding. Um, so one of the things I, I decided when I was going to be a pastor again is I was just going to be as honest as possible. As much as possible. And, and even the raw part. So let me just kind of be really raw with y'all. Okay? Y'all ready for this? As a pastor, I'm not coming to your house for a meal. I'm just not coming. I'm just not. I've, I've done it for 30 years. And you know what? I don't have to do it anymore. You, you, should, you should go eat with your people. No, I shouldn't. Because I've had some weird freaking experiences. <laughs> y'all don't know. Y'all don't know what I've had to go through. Y'all don't know the time I showed up at somebody's house, and I was like, hey, where's the food? They're like, oh, we hadn't started even cooking yet. We just want a fellowship. I was like, I hadn't decided if I like y'all or not. After 45 minutes of fellowship, and I was like, can I help cook? Can I get something started? I am ready to eat. By the way, if you tell me at 6 o'clock we're going to eat, we better eat at 6 o'clock, because at 6.05, I'm calling a pizza place. Hello. I will, I will door dash your butt and make you pay for it. So, but I'm not coming in. So I, I just don't. Now, I'll meet you at a restaurant. Can I come pick you up? No, you can't come pick me up because I'm a control freak. I need to drive because if you're weird, I need to be able to get out of the restaurant and into my car and away. I need to do a whole map. I could do a whole series on weird conversations that I've had. So, so I'm not going to anybody's house and there's nothing personal. Well, it might be personal. I don't know. It, it might be personal. But like, you might have a cat in your house and I'm like, oh my gosh, has the cat been in the kitchen? That's just nasty. Huh? But I make exceptions. We, I've got some friends. I've got two friends. They're a couple. And years ago, we were having this conversation about food and how much I, I like. I love food. Like, food's one of my favorite things in the world. And so we're talking about food, and they were like, you should come to our house for dinner. And I was like, well, see, what happened was, um, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, but there's something in me that was like, and they're like, we love to cook, and we love to cook, and we love to cook. And I was like, yeah. What I meant to say was I'm, I'm not coming, but what came out was I'll be there. And, and, and so, so I wound up, I kind of had to go, walk in their house, and they're like, we're so glad you're here. And they had the food ready. It's, it's the best food I've ever had in my life. Like, like I would go there. That, that's, that's my favorite place to eat is their house. They could call me. I know they're watching right now probably. So y'all? You know who you are. They could call me right now. Y'all could, y'all could call, call me right now. Right now, and I would not let it go through. I would answer it. I think I'm playing. They're watching. I know they watch the service. And they could say, Will you, do you want to come to dinner tonight? And the answer is yes, because I know you all have pizza on Sunday night. So the answer is yes. But here's the deal. It wouldn't matter what they're cooking. It wouldn't matter. You know why? Because everything that comes out of their kitchen is amazing. 
They would never cook something I don't like. Like they never said, hey, come to dinner. <laughs> and they fixed oysters because they know I don't like oysters because oysters are nothing more than a fish was swimming in the sea and went, <laughs> and then people are like, let's eat that. That's what an oyster is. Thank you very much. It's gross. I don't, if you fry it, you just fried fish snot. Thank you very much. I don't want it. They would never do that to me. Everything that's ever came out of their kitchen is absolutely amazing. And I trust them. I trust them so much that they literally could call me and I would show up at their house just because I trust them that much. Now, we've got people in our life that we trust like that. Why in the world would we trust other people like that and not trust God like that? Amen. See, understand that he, if he wants us to walk through Samaria, it might not be easy, but it's best. It might not be easy, but it's right. It might not be easy, but when was the last time in life we ever had something worth having that was easy? God wants us to go through Samaria because he ultimately wants better things for our lives than we want for ourselves. This is what the prophet Isaiah said, and this is a, these two verses, I read these verses every day. I've been reading them every day for like a year and a half, trying to get my mind focused on this is what God wants for me. I don't have a hard time believing God wants to bless you. I have a hard time believing God wants to bless me. Anybody ever wrestle with that? This is what the prophet Isaiah said. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In other words, God says, you want some good stuff for your life? You had any, I want something better. See, the, the mentality that we get into as Christians is, oh my gosh, this brings me so much happiness. This brings me so much peace. This brings me so much joy. This brings me so much hope. It must be the devil. But Jesus did say, I came to give you an abundant life. I want you to live life to the full. But in order to get there, you got to go through Samaria. But once you get through Samaria, you'll understand that it wasn't to hold you back. It was to set you free. This is what Jesus said about it. This is how Jesus set it up. This is what I'm trying to wrap my mind around. Jesus said, you parents. Now, if you're a parent, you'll get this. If you're not a parent, trust me. You, if you ever parent one day, you'll totally get this. You parents. If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Isn't that jacked up? Like you're going through Chick-fil-A drive-thru and you order and they check it 472 times to make sure it's okay. And then you get up to the drive-thru and you get all the food and you get the kids meal and they're like, oh, do I get nuggets? No, you get a rock. Here's a rock. Hold that rock. You just eat that rock right there. You better be thankful for that rock. You know, when I was your age, I was thankful for every rock I got. I ate rocks and I walked to school uphill both ways, backwards, in the snow, and I loved it. You'd be on YouTube. DSS will be at your house like 30 minutes later, right? You don't give your kid a rock? How jacked up is that? Because you want great things for your kids. Do you not? Yes or no? Yes. I remember, I remember walking through the mall, Haywood Mall, and walking by Build-A-Bear the first time. And then explaining what Build-A-Bear is basically where you spend $782 to buy a stupid teddy bear. <laughs> How many have ever 
Been to Build-A-Bear. But yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of, I, I wish I would have thought of that. I remember thinking, that's the dumbest idea in the world. Who in the world would take their kids to Build-A-Bear and buy an overpriced bear when you go to Target, buy one for $4.99. You can go to Walmart, buy one for $3.99, but you cuss 17 times, so it's worth it, the extra dollar, to stay focused on Jesus, all right? So, so I remember, and then, and, then, and, then, and then I had a little girl. And then like two years later, she was wanting to go to Build-A-Bear on a Saturday. I was like, well, we can go look. Because I'm the man. I'm tough. I'm dad. I laid the law down. We got in Build-A-Bear. She, she held this. She looked at it. She looked at me. She looked at it. I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. She's like, Daddy, can I have that? Can I have this bear? And I was like, no, you um, get two. Just get two. And you know what? Can we fully clothe this bear? You know what? Do you want matching clothes? Can we get some clothes to match her? You know what? You get a bear, and you get a bear, and you get a bear. Like, I went crazy. Because I wanted my daughter to have something good. Parents, do you not want your kids to have incredible things? What do we always say? I want them to have things I never had. Jesus goes on to explain it. He said, or if your kids ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? How messed up would that be? Like if you went to Long John Silver's today. Now, nobody would tell anybody they went to Long John Silver's. Long John Silver's and Taco Bell are the two restaurants we go to and we don't talk about it. I mean, you go to Taco Bell, you don't, I mean, you, you don't talk about it, but everybody's going to smell it in like an hour. So, <laughs> so you go to Long John Silver's, you get a piece of fish, and your kid goes, I want some fish. No, here's a snake. Hold that. Have faith. Uh-uh. I was talking to Karis this week about churches that break out the snakes. You know what I'm talking about? She said, why do they do that? I said, because they're dumb. <laughs> and some people go, my uncle holds snakes. Well, he's dumb. You have a dumb uncle. Thank you so much. I love it. <laughs> so if you sin, this is what Jesus said. So if you sinful people, sinful people, you sinful people. Anybody here sinful people? Yeah, only half the room raising their hand. The other half, I'm so glad the only problem you had this morning was your halo was a little crooked. You're at the wrong church because the rest of us are sinful people. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? I've had people literally say, God's not blessing me. And my question is, what have you asked him for? And if he doesn't, listen, 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 listen. If he doesn't say yes, it's only because he has something better in mind why would we sell out for our dreams when we can put those to the side and get the dreams of the him who wants immeasurably more for us than all we could ask or imagine god this is my favorite service i love 11 30 i love you people don't tell the other two services <laughs> A lot of y'all didn't know I owned a shirt with buttons. <laughs> I do. I do. Last, last year, one, I think one time this year, I wore one with buttons and tucked it in. This, this week online, this week, you can't make this up. You can't make this up, people. This week online, somebody, it was a lady, and she wrote in. I'm not going to call your name. <laughs> but she said, I love your preaching, but I sure do wish you would dress better in the house of God. <laughs> 
Let me ask you a question, sweetheart. What are you wearing right now watching this message? Did you dress up? Did you put on a dress? Do you have on pantyhose? How's your makeup look? Karen? I don't know that we're going to put this one online. But anyway, no, I'm not making this up. It happened. So, yes, I do. I do have a, I do have a night. Every once in a while I put on a nice shirt. I know. I know. But I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about this, like, putting on a nice shirt and stuff because I remember this one instance with my mom. It's before my mom passed away, and I was getting ready for church, and I went to one of those churches where you had to dress up. You had to dress up. Like, women had to wear pantyhose. That's how you know you love some Jesus. So I was putting on my shirt one time, and I was talking to my mom a little bit. I never will forget this. This really happened. I was, you know, and it's easy to put on a shirt, right? You just, you just kind of put the button in the hole. That's all you do, right? So I got a couple buttons, but and my mom was like, "Pierre, you, Pierre, you're not doing that right." I'm like, "Don't what? I got a button and a hole. That's all you need. You put. How difficult is it, mom? Because I was 11. I was smart. Knew everything. You put the button in the hole." She's like, yeah, but you're not doing it right. I'm like, why, we got, why are you judging me? Why? She's like, well, Perry, you're, it's, it's off. It's off. I'm like, no, it's not, it can't be off, Mom. I got buttons and I got holes. I'm taking care of this. I am a man. Got that last button buttoned? She said, go look in the mirror. <laughs> go look at how good I look. I walked in, I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> Some of you are type A right now, and you're going crazy, going, he, Harold, he got to fix it. He got to fix it. <laughs> I'm going to wear it for the rest of the day like this. <laughs> I'm going to walk over to Walmart. I say, how y'all doing? <laughs> It'd probably make me the manager. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> though like my mom wasn't trying to condemn me she was trying to correct me you know why because at the end she didn't she didn't want this to happen she didn't want this to happen she didn't want me walking out thinking I had it all together and I didn't have it all together look ridiculous my mom was trying to spare me from looking like this at thinking this was okay when it wasn't okay and so so you know what I had to make a decision Either I could have said, well, you know, this is just who I am. This is who God made me to be. Or, you know what, I could, I could do it correctly. Now, it was kind of frustrating unbuttoning everything that I'd already buttoned, everything I thought I already had together. But you know what? It was worth all the effort. It could have been avoided. I was just listening to my mother to begin with. Which leads to the third word is openness. Are you open? Like, are you open to God speaking to you and saying, you know what? This is a little off in your life. I want to deal with this. I want to deal with this area. I want to deal with, I want to deal with this habit. I want to deal with this issue. And the reason he's speaking into it is not to condemn you, but to correct you. The reason he wants to correct you because he knows ultimately if you stay on that 
path, you miss out on immeasurably more than all you could ever ask for or imagine. I know you're used to in church world, if you stay on that path, you're going to destroy it. No, 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 no. The, the worst thing isn't, isn't the bad thing. The worst thing is missing out on immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. So at the end of the day, are you, are you at least open to what God wants to do in your life? That, are, you, are, you will, are you open to going through some area? Because I don't want this to ever be a place where we have a lot of activity, but we make no progress. This is a safe place to deal with the things that we don't talk about. To work through the issues that nobody really wants to wrestle through. Because we know as a church, and I know as a pastor, that if you're willing to embrace what God wants in your life, and you're open to what he wants next, he will blow you. It, he'll blow your mind. It won't always be easy, but it will always be right. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to just ask right now for everybody in this room, everybody watching online, God, that we would be so open to what you want for our lives. God, and I pray that you'd speak to hearts today right now. And God, that we would hear not condemnation, but correction in the area or the areas that we need that spoken into us. And Father, may we be so open to what you want. May we literally have the posture of surrender. We sang earlier about surrender like a rushing wind. Jesus, breathe within. Have your way 